0: do you know what time it is? It's that time again with Cindy Gurn, who has the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. Hi, this is Lewis Montgomery, and welcome to my show, Government Contracting Today. I'm very pleased to have with me Jim Lawler, who is the Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer for ICF International. I've known Jim for a long time, and he's had he has over 30 years of experience in HR, including uh, extensive uh, international experience. Uh, in addition to having worked at ICF, he worked for several other uh, major organizations including uh, having worked at uh, at PepsiCo and uh, and, and, and I Whole Foods. Uh, Jim has a, a BA in Economics from the University of Georgia and also an Executive Coaching Certification through uh, Georgetown's uh, University Leadership Coaching Program. Jim, welcome to my show. Glad to be here. Thank you. When we talked uh, during our, our, our last show, one of the, the, the reasons for, for focusing on government contracting is there's such a huge industry in the uh, the greater DC area uh, we talked about last time that it's about an excess of a $450 billion uh, industry, and in the DC area, the the state of Virginia is the the number one government contracting state. Uh, the district. Is number five, and uh, and Maryland is number four. So it's a, again huge, huge industry here, and and uh, in our show we're including uh, uh, newsmakers as well as uh, executives from the uh, from from the space. And again, glad to have uh, Jim Lawler as part of this uh, this conversation. Jim, you've worked for several major organizations
1: in your career. How did you get into government contracting? Well, it initially was not my plan per se. I worked first for an industrial robotics manufacturer, and then I worked for many years for PepsiCo Consumer Products in the US and in Europe and in Africa. And then I began to work in retail. So I was head of HR for Giant Foods here in the mid Atlantic region, and then became the head of HR for Royal Ahold, which is the Amsterdam based parent company of Giant Foods. And that company had a U.S.-based headquarters in the Chantilly, Virginia area of all places, and at one point I had been the head of HR for all the U.S. subsidiaries, so I was living in Northern Virginia, but I was commuting to Amsterdam about 30 to 35 times a year for a week at a time, and I had two kids entering high school, thought it would be a good idea to be around them a bit more as they entered that period of their lives, and so I decided that I wanted to actually live and work in Northern Virginia. And I looked around, and the vast majority of companies in the Northern Virginia area are federal contractors, no surprise there. And so I ultimately set up my own consulting shop and began to do HR consulting, executive coaching, and executive search work. And over the course of time, a number of my clients were federal contractors. And so I began to get acquainted with those companies and with the federal contracting space. As I was doing that work, I started to realize, though, that I was missing something. I missed being a part of an executive team that was trying to do something together big for an organization. And you can do great work as a consultant. You can solve significant problems and puzzles. But you can't see the work through to implementation and to its end result, and I missed that. And I happened to get a call one day from an executive search firm. About an HR job, leading a spinoff from Northrop Grumman, and that spinoff happened to be a company called Task. And interviewed for the job seemed like a great fit, a really interesting situation, and so that's how I made my entree on a full-time basis into federal contracting.
0: Okay, great. You mentioned that um, you worked for, again for several more consumer-centric organizations, more specifically uh, PepsiCo and uh, and uh, and Al So. From your standpoint and your experience, what's so different about human resources within the government contracting industry as opposed to some other industries?
1: Well, first, in, in my opinion, there's not as much as that is different as you might think. Leadership is leadership in any organization. People management is people management in any organization. P&L management, general management, is P&L management and general management in any organization. Benefits are benefits. The principles of compensation and reward and performance management are the same in any organization. The dynamics of leadership development are the same in any organization. And so at a strategic level, The vast majority of the issues that really matter are the same. Now, that said, there are obviously differences at a more administrative level. You have to be DCAA or DCMA compliant. You have to be conversant and capable of dealing with security clearances. You have to understand OFCC compliance. But in a lot of ways, if you treat people fairly and consistently, you'll be in good shape with regard to those expectations. There are some differences in federal contracting that hopefully are more occasional in nature. Things like dealing with a federal government shutdown. Uh, So those of you that work in this space are quite familiar with the implications of that. But I think the more interesting questions around the differences in federal contracting relate to the talent pool and the implications of the federal acquisition process itself. And if you look at the talent pool, the federal government has a huge challenge in terms of processing security clearances. And there's over 500,000 backlogged security clearance applications pending right now. 500,000. I saw one article the other day that suggested that the number has now reached 600,000. And that has enormous consequences for folks who want to come into this space. So if you're young, maybe have a couple of years of experience but you don't have a security clearance, it's gonna be very difficult to get into the federal contracting space. So that's one implication. The consequence of that is that with the additional point that every day, hundreds of federal contractors who have security clearances are retiring, you have essentially a shrinking talent pool. And so every company in the federal contracting space is competing for the same talent with fewer and fewer people in that talent pool day by day. And the consequence is that it gets tougher and tougher to attract and retain people, and we're essentially driving up the price of labor in that talent pool. That's a profound difference. To be in a pool that is so constrained and actually shrinking at the rate that this talent pool is shrinking is significantly different.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty incredible and, and sounds very different than most other organizations that uh, that I'm certainly familiar with. So it sounds like the recruiting challenge is especially acute within within government contracting. Uh, so what kinds of things can can organizations do? Organizations that like you've been a part of do to to differentiate themselves to
1: get your share of the uh, of the uh, the available shrinking talent pool. Sure. I think one of the distinctive points is to pursue a path of really being a great place to have a career and to create a track record of retaining people and developing them. It starts with treating people fundamentally right. That's a prerequisite. You know, that's necessary but not sufficient. And then it goes to the point of cultivating your talent and giving people pathways where they can see a way forward to grow in their career, whether they remain a subject matter expert or whether they go up the management path. You've got to be able to to create a way for people to grow because if you don't provide that, they'll go somewhere else to find that opportunity.
0: Sure. So, how do you do that in in a in a space where your business is recompeted every every few years, and that builds in a, a significant amount of uncertainty about if people will be able to uh, to stay within the within the particular organization that they're in? So, how have you been able to 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 walk that line within within the within uh, ICF and then tasks that you were in uh, previously?
1: Well, it's interesting that you choose the words walk that line because it is a balancing act. You have to be price competitive, and you have to be capability competitive in order to win your recompetes. So if you establish a track record of high probability of winning your recompetes, people recognize that. And they will presume that you have the best opportunity for maintaining that work if you have that track record. So you have to start with business competitiveness. And then secondarily, you have to then take care of the people that helped you to win that recompete. And you have to provide advancement opportunities for those folks that were there through that grinded out proposal process and that period of uncertainty, and you've got to reward them and recognize them. Mm-hmm. Great, great. So you've um,
0: you, you've had some success in, in a number of different organizations. Uh, you mentioned uh, uh, commuting to uh, to Amsterdam. Would love to, <laughs> to hear more about that. That's that uh, that that's a whole different commute than uh, than I sixty six. But uh, certainly would uh, hear love to hear more about that. But again, you've enjoyed success in in a, in a number of different
1: organizations and. What what have been some of the keys for you? Well, I would say to the extent that I've had success, it has been first a product of being thoughtful about what organizations are a good fit and having a sense for where I could add value and then surrounding myself with great people. I think that is the ultimate key, is in a senior leadership role, it's a bit about what you do, but it's really more about what the organization that you're responsible for in total can do. And what it in fact does and so i've had the the great fortune to work for some terrific people and to work with some terrific people people that i respect people that i enjoy and i think if you find yourself in a situation where you don't respect or you don't enjoy the people that you work with you need to make a change you need to go where you can feel good about that
0: Okay, great. Let's talk a bit more about, uh, about your current organization, ICF International. Tell us a bit more about it, and one
1: of the things I'm always curious about is organizations with acronyms, I and mean, what does is, what is the ICF stand for? Sure. Well, ICF was founded in 1969. At that time, it was fundamentally focused on raising capital and investing in inner-city businesses to develop underdeveloped areas uh, of cities across the U.S., and over the course of that time it in parallel did a small amount of consulting work for the DOD Department of Defense and it turned out that they were ultimately much more successful at solving problems for federal agencies than at developing inner cities and so the consulting business outpaced the inner city development fund the name ICF was retained in the form of those three initials But the development business was divested, and the company really became a consulting and implementation business over the course of time. It's now an incredibly diverse organization. We do work for Health and Human Services, so NIH, CDC, World Health Organization, VA, uh, Department of Education, Department of Energy. We do some work for DOD, particularly Army Research Lab. We do work for investor-owned utilities, we do work for consumer products companies, So we work for Mattel, for Hasbro, for Skittles, for Amtrak, for a number of the airlines, for Hilton, Hyatt. We do work for the European Union. So we have this incredibly broad range of capabilities and of clients, both on the commercial side and on the federal side. We're about 50-50, federal and commercial slash international.
0: That sounds very unique in this uh, in this space. I know many of the the local government contractors are, or primarily federal. I know that when when I worked in government contracting, we were probably 80 percent federal and maybe 20 percent state and local, and virtually none in the in the commercial space. Given that you guys are about 50 50 federal versus uh, uh, commercial, how does that? play into your ability to be able to retain folks and and provide career opportunities for them, given your portfolio is so broad and diverse?
1: It certainly means that in corporate services areas, you have a broader range of opportunities for folks, because finance is finance, and to a large extent, HR is HR, et cetera. So it gives you an added draw there. It gives you a stability because you have a diversified portfolio. So if the federal government is in a period of uncertainty, as as to some extent the federal government is now, commercial market is rocking along. When you look at other capabilities, things like digital marketing strategists and cyber folks, they can work on the commercial side or the federal side, particularly if they have a clearance on the commercial side, they can certainly, or if they have a clearance on the federal side, they can certainly move over to the commercial side. So it doubles the number of opportunities for them and it gives them a chance to do some work that they haven't had exposure to. And most folks have an innate curiosity, and they want to continue to grow. And so they find that attractive. Yeah, certainly.
0: You mentioned uh, several different uh, agencies. Uh, can you share who your largest customers are on the on the federal side? And uh, to the extent, and certainly don't want to give away any, any trade secrets, but you know, can you tell us a little bit about some of the work you guys do for them?
1: Sure. Ultimately, our largest customer is Department of Health and Human Services. And within that, we do a significant amount of policy advisory work. We do a significant amount of training and technical assistance work. Uh, We actually run one of the world's largest global health surveys. Uh, We do health-related analytics work for CDC and NIH. Uh, We run a number of the Head Start programs across the United States. And so we have this just amazing diversity one of the things that I've found interesting and, frankly, that I found initially attractive and still find attractive about the company is we've had this incredible ability to spot the next opportunity and to be agile, whether that's a capability that we don't have that a client would value, and then we develop or acquire that capability, or whether it's recognizing a new client where, that, where a capability that we have could be deployed. We've moved step-by-step, action-by-action in a way where we've grown from about 200 million in revenue to about 1.2 billion in revenue in 10 years. That's a pretty incredible
0: track record that you guys have uh, going for you.
1: It's been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I bet. You mentioned that uh, earlier on that, that your your initial entry into government contracting was with an organization called uh, Task. I know the Task has you know been been acquired, but can you just uh, tell us more about sort of what was the difference between that your initial. Uh, firm that you worked with in the government contracting space versus, uh, versus ICF?
1: Sure. TASC is highly focused on the defense and intel side, so different client focus. And the predominant technical capabilities were systems engineering and IT architecture and cyber. And so a more technical, um, different side of the federal government kind of work, very different in that respect. What was particularly interesting about TASC was that it was a spinoff from Northrop Grumman. And so the real remit in the role was to help to create a standalone organization, start by recruiting the senior leadership team and helping to put that together. So find a CFO, find a general counsel, find the line leaders, help to put that together. And then to look at it from an HR perspective and say, what should your comp and benefits plans look like? Design those and put those in place. What should your talent management practices look like? Design those and put those in place. And so you really had the ability to be an architect and to shape almost like a startup, except that you knew you were gonna make your payroll next week and you had a billion dollar portfolio of work that you could draw on.
0: Given your very significant HR experience uh, before you got into government contracting, how have you been able to draw upon that to make the transition into a very complex and industry where it sounds like there is a a real, real war for talent. So I guess what are some of the things that you've been able to pull from your prior experience that
1: have been useful
0: for you in in your current
1: role? Well, I think first understanding the psychology of retention, understanding why people will join a company and what will cause them to stay at a company, and looking at it from the employee's perspective. That is truly universal. And I think we, we are at risk of losing that from time to time and not really thinking about it. What's the experience for a 28-year-old employee with five years of professional experience? What are they looking for? And what's their actual real-life experience in your company every day? And so really looking at that and talking with folks all across the organization, listening to what they have to say. Not as a complaint or as a criticism, but as an opportunity to get better. I think it's something that's valid in any industry, any company out there. And it's the core to how you shape a company for the future.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. How have you been
1: able to get up to speed in this, this industry and what kinds of things do you do to stay current? First thing I I do is I, I think there's a huge value in networking, and so there are three professional groups that I'm a member of that I actively participate in. Many of the participants in those groups are heads of HR for federal contractors. And they're a tremendous source of information. They're folks that over the course of time you develop really strong relationships with and trust, and so you can use them as a sounding board, and you can learn a lot from them and their experiences. And so I work those networks. I draw from those networks. I hopefully give to those networks as well. I take part in a number of electronic newspaper clipping services to get relevant information about federal contracting and about the practice of HR and about board governance and issues that our board would be interested in. And I try to, to maintain a constant kind of a reading schedule where I'm reading at least one business book at any point in time as another way to just provoke my own thought. Okay,
0: excellent. So it's a very active effort on your part to stay connected, sounds like both inside your organization as well as outside the, the organization, and, and continue to invest in your own development. Absolutely. Yeah, great for you. You mentioned uh, uh, ICF, and you've been there for about three about three years. Uh, what kinds of changes have you made since uh, since you've been there to deal with the the challenges that you
1: guys are facing? Sure. First off, let me say that there's a lot in place when I got there, and credit to the folks that were there before me that helped to build the company. There's an incredibly healthy culture. It's diverse. It's collegial people treat each other with respect. So you have an enormously strong foundation to work from to begin with. And so the things that we've done have been to look at our benefits and look at our strategy and our design and try to strike that perfect balance between being talent competitive, being able to attract the talent you need in the market, and at the same time, be price competitive and to be in a position where you are right on that knife edge of those two considerations. So we made significant changes to our benefits plan, and quite frankly, we're really happy with where we are in that regard. We've looked at our compensation practices. We're building a new framework for our fundamental approach to compensation. We've retooled our equity plan, our incentive plans. And we've simplified the performance review process. We've not gotten rid of the performance review process. I think that you still need some fundamental minimal expectation of at least an annual conversation and some written documentation to ensure some clarity. But then hopefully you build beyond that in terms of much more frequent conversations and feedback on top of that foundation. So we've worked a lot on performance management. And the next area that we're going to look at is, What's our next approach to career development and to promotional practices? So what we have works pretty well. About 14 to 15% of our population are promoted each year, which is about double the typical rate in comparable organizations. But are we really as clear and as comprehensive and as complete as we could be in terms of the approach that we use to ensuring that everybody has the right access and hopefully equal access to promotions in the company.
0: Okay, great. One of the real challenges that many organizations have is we've got multi-generations in the workforce. I think we've read somewhere that we're, there are four or five generations from the baby boomers through the millennials. And I'm curious, given the diverse portfolio that you have at ICF, you know, how are you approaching a multi-generational workforce? Right.
1: About 53% of our employees are millennial, and obviously that number goes up every day. That's
0: a very high percentage.
1: It is. It is. It is. And, and it's interesting because I think that what millennials want in many ways are things that other generations wanted or still want, but maybe were hesitant to ask for or to expect. So... Who doesn't want more feedback? Who doesn't want to know where they stand? Who doesn't want affirmation and recognition? Who doesn't want career opportunity? Who doesn't want work-life balance? Everybody does. So I don't view the generations in sort of the divisive way that maybe you you see written about from time to time. I, I think everybody wants those things. To me, the difference for millennials is that if you don't provide that, they'll go somewhere else. Because they know that in five years, if they've been at three companies, at their age, nobody is going to question that. That's normal for the millennial generation. There's nothing wrong with that. It won't set them apart in a negative way from many of their colleagues. And so if they're not getting what they're looking for, they will go where they can get it. And so the challenge for us is how can we provide those things for every generation? Let's not fixate on it as a millennial issue, but let's look at what people want. And let's do everything we can to deliver against that. One of the questions
0: I, I love to ask my, my guests who are in the in the space is to talk about roles that are very challenging to fill. You mentioned uh, security clearance. I'm just curious about, uh, as you think about the various jobs you have within your organization, what are some of the toughest ones to uh, to, to fill? And, and then maybe related to that might be, how can, can people get into some of that work to, to become a uh, very much in-demand kind of person?
1: Sure. Well, first and foremost, everyone will say cyber. You know, cyber where the high-level security clearance is the most difficult job to fill still, and it will be for some time. I think secondarily, data analytics is is really coming up with a bullet behind it in terms of the need and the opportunity for folks with that background. And so demand is outstripping supply very quickly, and comp is going up, supply is going down, particularly for folks with clearances. Uh, And I would say looking outside of the technical space, Really good business development people are worth their weight in gold. People that have a real, true, solid track record of delivering growth results are extraordinarily valuable. And many of the networking groups that I go to, we talk about how difficult it is to find that person.
0: What... um... As we about get ready to, uh, to wrap up our show, I always like to ask uh, for advice, uh, ask my, my guests, rather, to, uh, to give advice to our, to our listeners. So I'd say, you know, given you've had a, a quite a distinguished career in, uh, in, in human resources, I mean, what advice would you give to an up-and-coming uh, human resources person who may be in government contracting or may aspire to get
1: into the government contracting space? I think a lot of my advice would be the same regardless of what your function would be. But I I would first say hone your craft. You need to bring technical capability to the party. You need to be cutting edge. And you need to be constantly learning. So bring your A game, whether you're in human resources or finance or cyber, and constantly be looking to upgrade that knowledge. That's the first piece. The second piece is get involved. And, And by that, I mean do more than the basic job. Volunteer for projects. Ask for the next big challenge. You know, let your manager know that you're willing to take on more. And if you were to be asked the question, what happened because you were in this job because of anyone else as compared to anyone else in this job? If you can't answer with a strong sense of conviction that there's something distinct that would not have happened if somebody else had been in the job, then you need to push yourself more because you've got to be able to put points on the board and know that there's a difference because you were in this job. So you've got to ask yourself that question. And then you know, the third piece is focus on what matters most. All of the jobs that exist today are bigger than the individuals that, that do them. And so everybody's got about 20% of the job that they just can't quite get to. You can't reach it, you'll get to it if you have time. Make sure that you're spending your time on the things that matter most and not on the things that matter at least. What's urgent and what's important can often be very different. And so if you're going to work in HR, look for the most fundamental issues around attraction and retention of talent, around development of the leaders that are going to make the biggest difference to your business. And that's where you can really make a difference.
0: Well, Jim, thank you so much for being my guest on uh, Government Contracting today. It's been a real pleasure to, uh, to have you on the show. Glad to do it. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Until the next time.